I I do want to say that I do know that Michael Keaton played a Batman at some point. That like things are <laughs> things are clear now. I do. I get it. I promise. Hey there, I'm Jordan, and I'm Nick. We're just two regular guys who love talking about film, and now we'd like to talk to you. We decided to break down our discussions into three parts because everyone loves a gimmick. We discuss our expectations for a film before we watch it. That's take one. We give our immediate thoughts following the film. That's take two. And finally, we research the film at length to prepare for an informed and in-depth discussion. And that's take three. So if you love film even half as much as we do, join in on the conversation. This is Take Three, a movie podcast. Take one. Hello and welcome. To what? I don't know. What is this? No, no, what? What is it? Welcome to what? I don't know. Uh, take three, a movie podcast. I know that. I think I'm that caught up as well, but that, from there, I don't know where where we go. Spider-Man. I've probably seen it like probably like 10 or 15 times now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is it on a streaming service? I think it's on Netflix. Is it? I thought I thought it was on one yeah. That's good. It's a great movie. Beautiful animation. What a really cool meta interesting take on the stories of Spider-Man and uh, knowing a little bit about, you know, the different Spider-Man helped, but I was certainly like floored with how much that they included and how much they were willing to add to this movie, even though, you know, it might not be the coolest, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's some yeah. kind of weird aspects to Spider-Man that they introduce and make fun of. And, if if you know anything about me, I absolutely love meta comedy, and this <laughs> movie is like full of it. What were some of those weird things that you weren't expecting? Well, okay, or is this a take two conversation? I mean, maybe I'll probably be able to point out more after having just seen it. But yeah, right off the bat, I'm thinking of Spider Ham, Peter Porker. Oh, <laughs> he's a pig, and he's you know one of the main characters, and that's so freaking cool. You know? Yeah, yeah. I do even like how they referenced like the the real movies at some points too. I think definitely very clever. Definitely uh, real movies. The, the uh, live action, I guess I should say they're all real movies for sure. There's a lot happening behind the scenes with the multiverse now with Sony and Marvel and doing a lot of, I don't want to call it fan service because fan service has such a negative connotation. But like, all I'm saying is, is that I, I, you guys probably have heard that like Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are, being approached to come back into the live action movies. And I think clearly this movie had an effect on those decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, it would be wrong to, to think that they weren't paying attention to the success of this film. While it didn't make a ton of money, I'm going to give you an exact figure and take three. Like I always do. Uh, I do know that this one best animated feature, which is a pretty dope feather in its cap. Yeah. I do know that there is a second one coming. I'm really looking forward to that. But I, again, I am really excited at the fact that this seemed to have set off a wave of people doing multiverse stories in all medium. So very excited about that. The idea is that WandaVision would set off the multiverse, that something that happens in WandaVision would like, I don't know, in some, some degree disturb the multiverse. Spider-Man 3 would be where I think they're sort of dealing with it to some degree, and then it would culminate, hopefully, in Doctor Strange 2. And Doctor Strange 2 is supposed to be like an Avengers-level movie. So 
That's what I've heard too. I think when I heard that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire were going to be back, I th- I think I assumed it was going to be in the Spider-Verse sequel. I didn't realize that that was going to be like its own separate thing. Oh no, from what I've heard, they have been approached to appear in the live action Spider-Man 3 with Tom Holland. Gotcha. Gotcha. So we will see. I don't think anything's set in stone yet, but I guess that's sort of the point. It just seems like everybody's doing the multiverse over at DC. Right now we are getting not I wouldn't say Flashpoint, but like something similar to Flashpoint where Flash is somehow able to travel through the multiverses. And I know that, you know, you've heard that Michael Keaton is coming back to play Batman in Andy Muschietti's The Flash. No. How many okay. times have we talked about this? No, this is this is how like confused I am. When I heard Michael Keaton was coming back, I assumed it was from his role in the second Spider-Man movie that was going to be with Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield in the new Spider-Verse movie. I just got all of my wires just completely crossed. <laughs> wait, 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 where was where was Michael Keaton in the second Spider-Man movie? In Far From Home? He's in Homecoming. Hey, that's what I meant. Yeah. The, okay, well, so that's number fir- that's that's well, okay, that's the first Tom Holland Spider-Man yes, movie. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. So I just a bunch of wires crossed. I'm going to give Jordan a lesson on all of this stuff, but we'll do it off air. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> I think like I think I'm clear now. I just I, I know he was in I know he was in one of the Spider-Man movies. I just got way confused. I apologize, but I think I'm I think I'm clear now. <laughs> it's totally okay. No worries. It is very confusing, but I <laughs> I, I have to say I'm sorry. This is probably going to confuse you more. I was actually talking about DC. So well, no, Andy well, Muschietti is directing the Flash, and yes. in the Flash movie, I believe Michael Keaton is confirmed, and I think Ben Affleck will also come back, maybe for like a cameo. Yeah, I I do want to say that I do know that Michael Keaton played a Batman at some point. That like things are. <laughs> Things are clear now. I do. I get it. I promise. We are growing and learning every day. I just a few notes about the Spider-Verse movie, which is what we're talking about this episode. Uh, It's I do applaud it for taking a risk. I think so often we get stuck in these like big eyed just there hasn't been a lot of risks taken in the animation world, uh, at least not in like feature films like this one, big blockbusters like this one. And I appreciate the hell out of it. And I wish that Hollywood took more risks and I hope that they use, well, I don't know if they should use this as an example because apparently it didn't do so well. So again, it won best animated feature though. So, I mean, yes, it did not uh, like kill at the box office, but that surprises the hell out of me. I, I don't think I've heard anything negative about this movie. I think it had some things working against it. Uh, the fact that it is a Spider-Man animated movie. I don't know if people knew who the film was geared at. A lot of Western audiences still consider cartoons to be for kids. And, you know, sure, the Disney movies, people go to them in droves because their kids are freaking out about it. But this movie was actually, I think, more for adults. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I love that it was a... Black Spider-Man. I love that that was highlighted very heavily, um, which was great. It's not, you know, another animated movie where the black character is not seen the whole time. Cough, cough, that pigeon movie and fucking Princess and the Frog. What was that pigeon (laughs) movie? Spy or something? 
Um, oh, I know what you're talking about. It was with Will Smith. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we actually got to see these black characters, which is amazing. And it was just funny. And it, it was funny in a way that I don't, I, I can't really compare it to anything else. It, it had its own style. It was very self-aware of what it was. It broke the fourth wall beautifully. And yeah, I don't know. It was, it's, it's a different movie. It took a risk. And I think it was very, very successful in my eyes. I think you would be hard pressed in the entire zeitgeist of superherodom to find a character that has taken on the mantle of another character and done it so well and so successfully and so popularly. Like there's not another Superman that people love and adore as much as people love and adore Miles Morales. Oh, I see. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Clark Kent, yeah, is the OG Superman. Mm -hmm. And Peter Parker is the OG Mm Spider-Man. But Miles Morales came in and was able to not only live up to what Spider-Man had done, but like sort of carve out his own niche. Like the story, the story feels uniquely Miles Morales. Mm -hmm. And it's funny um, I've heard a lot of people talk about the fact that it seems almost as if Tom Holland's Spider-Man, the MCU, is borrowing a lot from Miles Morales's comics <laughs> and stuff. So you would even think that maybe this might not seem as fresh to us, but I think maybe the animation is um, – or just the fact that this is an animated movie is actually doing it a service because it feels distinctly different. It feels like this character can really be fleshed out in this film. Um, yeah, I remember. Yeah. I think maybe the one con I have about this film is I remember going to see it with you know a couple of friends, and we went to this theater. That, I mean, it was a particularly nice theater, and we didn't go see it like in 3D or anything like that. But I think we were sitting closer to the front. I'm not 100 percent sure why, because we don't typically like with these friends. I think like Stacy and Alex were there. My brother-in-law might have been there. Like it, it was just we don't typically sit that far up. But, um, you know, you're watching this big old movie and the animation sometimes is a little jarring. Like it's a little hard to maybe focus your eyes on. Mm-hmm. It's just very different, uh, the style. And I would really kind of like to look into that or I'd like you to look into it. That'd be better. Uh, <laughs> just it, it's almost like double vision. It's sort of like it, it has this kind of 3D effect sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's very much a stylistic choice, and I, I definitely think it enhances the film. It, it definitely makes it feel more like a comic book right. and at times a video game. And I'm like just bathing in adoration for this film. But I think that that might be what turns some people off is that maybe it got a little bit too niche. I know that – okay. And I don't agree with this, but I know that sometimes um, people don't gravitate towards movies that go against the, like you said, that big eyed sort of Disney, Mm -hmm. everything looks really beautiful aesthetic. Uh, I think that's why Leica has struggled in um, some regards, just because they they dare to be different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, that kills me. I don't know why people have a problem with texture. I feel like... Both Leica and this movie are abundant in texture and detail. And then <laughs> Disney stuff is like all plastic and rubber. I don't get it. Maybe it's to sell toys. I don't know. I think that Disney clearly knows what they're doing and they're doing it well. But there is more than one way to skin a cat. Yeah. And so I'm I'm happy that this movie is somewhat successful and I'm happy that it's getting a sequel. I get that the movie business is just that. It's a business and taking risks can be dangerous 
which I guess is why I appreciate this movie so much is because it, it did take the risk and I think it worked out very well. All right. So without further ado, if there's nothing else that you have to say. One last thing. Ugh. No, I'm just kidding. Let's go. Take two. Did I or did I not just watch the best movie ever made? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that, that's a pretty uh, high praise. I just can't find a flaw. It's got representation. Every single frame is composed so perfectly. It's funny. It's sad. I, I can't find a flaw in this movie. Yeah, it definitely checks all the boxes and I feel like it's just an absolute visual feast. Every mm-hmm. shot is like, holy shit. Like they, they had to create this. Mm-hmm. And some of just the visual flares that might even turn some people off. Fuck those people. Are just mind blowing to me. I think they're so interesting. And the people, I really, really, really want to just talk about the people that did the animation and like the directors of this film. And I really, really cannot wait to look more into that. That's exciting for me. One thing I did want to ask you and no pressure if you don't know these answers, because it's something that we can look into for take three are each of these Spider-Man characters pulled from, I I assume that they're pulled from actual comics. Yes. Yes, They're all all Spider-Man. They are all real. Absolutely. And I wanted to actually talk to you about, that because this might have, and I'm trying not to be as hyperbolic when we're coming off of you saying it was the best movie <laughs> ever, but like this is one of the most stellar voice casts I have ever seen. Not only do we have Jake Johnson and Haley Steinfeld as Peter B. Parker and Gwen Stacy, but mm-hmm. then if you go into his family, Miles Morales's family, Mahershala Ali plays Uncle Aaron, who's the Prowler. Shit, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, Brian Tyree Henry plays his dad. This is great. Luna Lauren Velez, I think that's how you pronounce it. You might not recognize her name, but she's his mom. Yeah. She is La Guerta in Dexter. Yes. That's amazing. Going further into the actual spider people, we have John <laughs> Mulaney, who plays Spider-Ham, Kimiko Glenn, who is Penny Parker, and she's on Orange is the New Black. Yeah. And... She played Dawn in The Waitress. She did. Nicolas Cage as Spider-Man Noir, who is the spider people are my favorite characters. I I particularly love Spider-Ham and Spider-Man Noir. (laughs) I mean, just everybody. Catherine Hahn is Doc Ock. (gasps) I don't think I knew that. Did you know that Liev Schreiber was Kingpin? Yes, that I did know. And Chris Pine was the OG Spider-Man that dies. Interesting. Oh, how weird. Like that he got like such a brief. I feel like it's like a cameo kind of situation, honestly. Zoe Kravitz is Mary Jane (laughs) and Lily Tomlin is Aunt May. Yes, which is weird because anytime I see her, I think of someone who looks like Doc Ock. Maybe it's, it's her role in Grace and Frankie where she's this kind of like hippie. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Oh, and there's a, I don't know if you saw it, but there's like the end credit scene and it has Spider-Man 2099 in it. He's like a futuristic Spider-Man. His name is Miguel O'Hara. No, I don't remember that. Yep. And he is Oscar Isaac. Really? So they just have an unbelievable cast in this thing. Yeah. I also think the soundtrack is just a banger. Just all around perfect. Anytime that there's not music, I'm just waiting for there to be music because it is incredible. Uh, Even starting out with Sunflower, 
Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with that song. I love that <laughs> song so much. I don't know that I'll ever not be into that song. That's such a great song. I was telling you beforehand, I'd sort of always had the idea that maybe someday it would be really cool to get a bunch of like our friends and family together, like run out a movie theater and watch a movie on the big screen together. And it would be really awesome. And I figured if I organized it, I would probably just pick one of the, my favorite movies that I never, maybe never got to see on the big screen or just wanted to. But after watching this movie on <laughs> a 50 inch screen, I was like, you know what? <laughs> I want to go back to the movie theater and see this thing. <laughs> it is truly meant to be seen in theaters. And I, I'm, I know I'm probably talking to people who maybe haven't seen it in theaters. There might be some people, some of you that, you know, are just discovering it on Netflix and that's great. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know what you know what I was thinking of? It went back to when us was coming out and you insisted <laughs> that I sit on the floor right in front of my television and turn mm-hmm. it all the way up to watch mm-hmm. that trailer with uh I got five on like the best trailer ever made. There is like nothing can compare to a theater experience. I think it is so so important yeah. that at least like for some movies it, you have to see them in theaters at least once. And, you know, music is a big thing for me. And when you're able to surround yourself with certain movies or certain experiences, like nothing can compare. And yeah, that us trailer slaps. It absolutely slaps. <laughs> but like, can you, you just talk about running out of theater? Can you just put any movie that you want? Can you just request any movie or does it? I do believe that like, if it was for like a party or function, Yes, you can request. Interesting. I've been to premieres where movies that I've edited have played in movie theaters before. So like. Yeah, true. And they weren't like actually in the theater. You know, it was for a premiere. So they rented out a theater. But I I guess the point is just that watch this on the biggest screen you can. Although (laughs) even if you watch it on a small screen, if you watch it on your cell phone, it's still a really great story, great soundtrack. And I think you can still tell that it is like the product of so much work, effort, and love for these characters. Mm -hmm. I think it is truly the greatest Spider-Man movie. I know people probably disagree. My favorite Spider-Man is Tom Holland. I think it's just because he's lumped in with the Avengers and stuff. But (laughs) I feel like this is better than Homecoming or Far From Home, even though I adore those films. I think by default, since it is the greatest movie of all time, it will automatically (laughs) be the greatest Spider-Man movie of all time. (laughs) Citizen Kane could never. Oh, my God. I'm just kidding. I've not seen that yet, so I can't really compare. But once I do... I really like Citizen Kane. I'm actually a very big fan. I know a lot of people... Like a lot of people I went to film school with are like, this movie's so overrated. Why are we being shown this? This is not like as amazing as everybody says it is. I really do think it's pretty special and I enjoyed it. Like it's a good story. I can't even fathom. I can't even give even the tiniest guess as to what it's even about. I have zero. But you won't let me tell you. No, I want to watch it. I know. I mean, I wouldn't tell you like. I wouldn't tell you the ending or anything, <laughs> although I bet you probably know the ending. Uh, maybe it's just it's an iconically spoiled ending, like Empire Strikes Back kind of spoiled ending. Is it in black and white? Huh? It is. Yes, it is. All right. Well, that's one strike. Oh my god! Couldn't even do it in color, so uh, Spider Man wins on that one. <laughs> Shut uh, up. <laughs> just kidding. But yeah, maybe for take three, I'll watch uh, Citizen Kane. <laughs> and then right after that, I'll watch Metropolis. Oh, God. And then we'll really no, be that able I to don't tell. Like. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, I think you're okay on both of those for right now. <laughs> um, 
Um, one thing that I did want to bring up before take three, one thing I noticed watching it again that I didn't even look up is, do you know what like the big corporation that Kingpin works for is called? Um, not off the top of my head, no. It's called Alchemex. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I just want you to put an M in front of that. Malcolm X. Like oh, that shit. could not have been a coincidence, right? That's cool. Yeah, right? I don't know. You know, I was talking about in take one how there were there were some like maybe odd things that happened in this film that people don't typically see in uh, animation in movies. Mm-hmm. And like the whole like the words coming up on the screen, like a comic mm-hmm. book, like a lot of that flair. I don't know if that maybe made people be like, what the hell is this? And maybe people didn't understand it. I, that's just like an idea. I'm just trying to figure out why people weren't super into this. I mean, again, I know it won the best animated film Oscar, but I think that's because people in the industry certainly thought it was. They recognized yeah. and respected it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I'm just trying to I, like, I really am racking my brain to find out. And I really, I don't want it to be because it stars a character of color like that to yeah. me. It, it very well could be like, I think it may be irresponsible not to, to note that, that there's typically a, a, bias, a bias among a lot of viewers and, you know, mm-hmm. all over the world that a lot of times characters of color movies don't do as well, which is absolutely ridiculous. And I mean, every day they're making strides to have more inclusion and these movies are doing fantastic. I just, I don't know. I don't, it's sort of like a conversation that I don't even feel really equipped to have. It's just a shame that this movie hasn't done better because it's so fantastic. I almost don't like calling it representation because I think that denotes that like, white is the standard and because it deviated from that then it's like while it is still representation it didn't feel like it was trying to push an agenda no certainly not i mean it really was just trying to highlight a character that again like i said in in the first take this character can stand on his own it was worth telling this story right uh, because he was like okay i guess he wasn't filling a quota that's, you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. I don't because I, I am certainly very much pro whatever agenda that is. We're like being more representative in media and that kind of thing. Um, but like, I think it was more digestible to maybe those more biased audiences, um, which I definitely appreciate. And it kind of it does everything at the same time. It really does kind of check all the boxes when it comes to representation, though, or a lot of them at least, because you've got characters, you know, you've got female spider people you've got mm-hmm. asian spider people you've got black spider people and even miguel o'hara shows up seems like he's probably going to be featured in the sequel which i think will do much better just because again this movie i think has become much more celebrated now i was thinking about like i'm probably about 15 minutes into the film i was like you know everything is so visually stunning in this movie I think I want to try to pick like a favorite shot and i feel like it's so cliche because i think this is everyone's <laughs> favorite shot and this is like probably the filmmaker's favorite shot but when he's falling upside down into the city and you just see that like wide shot with him just yeah when he first kind of accepts that exactly his identity yeah for sure i mean i was like oh my god there's like nothing better i think a lot of the um the most visually stunning parts though are when the 
the reactor or the whatever it is called collider i think collider yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. those are really amazing shots but like that clean shot of just this beautiful city and him falling into it really really special for me all i know is this film in my opinion not only was like a pioneer for diversity in filmmaking it was a pioneer when it comes to animation like i've never seen anything like any of the stuff that they were doing in this film I understand the idea of trying to make it look like a comic book, but they went way past that. This is a movie, this is, again, a spectacle. And then I think it also will have a place when we look back, just even like 10 years, the stories that we're about to get when it comes to, like when the world gets its shit together (laughs) and we start being able to, to watch new movies, we will see the impact of this multiverse, this meta storytelling, this idea that, hey, We made a lot of movies in early 2000s, in in the 90s, and in the 80s. We still own these characters. Why can't we bring them back? Why People love that shit. Why can't we all exist in the same universe? Mm -hmm. Well, in different universes, but why can't we all be in the same movie, I guess, you know? (laughs) And to me, it's a dangerous line to walk because you, like – you may be going overboard in like less careful and less um, caring hands. I would worry about some of these characters just being brought in as fan service. This movie didn't feel like fan service at all to me. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it didn't service the fans, but like it, you know, fan service is kind of like, this is all you get. We're just trying, we're throwing something at you just to get your money. There, Yeah, there was nothing in this movie that felt like it was trying to just appease us it all felt genuine it all felt like it fit and it it did exactly and i'm really interested to see primarily obviously because i am a marvel fanboy what kevin (laughs) feige does with all of this shit but i mean i am really excited to see what sony's doing and uh what dc does with this with this idea of the multiverse not like this movie created that but it certainly brought it to a lot of people's attention for a lot of people who don't necessarily read the comics or aren't as well versed in all of this bullshit. It might actually be their first taste of the multiverse or whatever you want to call it. It was certainly mine. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I knew, I knew that a spider verse existed. Like I knew that there were several spider people, Mm -hmm. but I, I guess I didn't realize the specifics of them. So Yeah, this definitely brought it to my forefront. Good. That's exactly my point. So this, and I think Endgame and what DC did with Crisis on Infinite Earths when they brought all of their characters together on television. Oh, like like the CW TV shows? Yeah, yeah. I gotcha, okay. So I think those like team-up films that were hitting around the same time, all of them had you know, built in the ideas of different universes and things like that. We're going to get some more amazing 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 i'm so fucking excited that's all i can think about is like (laughs) the implications of these films that we're seeing in the past couple of years are gonna be huge like people don't even realize it yet yeah and i'm i'm just excited i'm really (laughs) excited can you tell (laughs) take three i don't know i'm getting ready to clap that's not how we do it that's my job i'm the one who claps (laughs) i don't I have no idea. I don't. I don't think I've ever clapped for this. I am the one who claps. Are you ready for the clap? Yes. Yeah, uh, no. Wait. Okay. Yes. Now clap. Okay. There we go. There's a little waveform. 
So even from this like little glimpse, I can tell that you have rearranged your apartment since I've been there. Oh, because of the because of yeah. this. So I'm finally hanging things up. They're not on the floor anymore. <laughs> Progress is being made. Yes. Um, my parents are moving out of the house that I grew up in for since sixth grade. So 16 years. How old are you now? 30? I'm 35. I'm ancient. I'm almost dead. Uh, long story short, lots of stuff in my old bedroom had to take all of that to my current apartment. So my apartment is a little bit of a mess, uh, but we're working on it. We're working through it. (laughs) Slowly but surely. I can't wait to see it all done. Yeah, we'll see. I'm excited. We'll see. You sent me a, a snap of the like cleaned out house. I Our was house like, is gutted. I was like, did they get robbed? <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for you to turn up the gay in your apartment. Turn, turn up to like an 11. Turn up the gay. <laughs> what is left to turn? Like, how do I do so that? You need... You need um, lots of neon lights. You need a rainbow flag. Um, okay. You need some other subset of the LGBT community flag, um, especially off, hanging off your balcony. Plants, but only take care of some of the plants. I take care of all of my plants. You need more plants, and I do just don't plants. take care of some of them. No, I love all of my plants. Who's going to pay for these plants and flags and decorations? Because it's certainly not me. Do we get like steal? Do we get well? Be gay. Do crime. (laughs) We should move on to Spider Man. That's what we're here for. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. That's why we're here. This episode is by far the most difficult episode I have ever done since starting this podcast. By far, and it's it's because there's a lot that comes with studying the greatest movie of all time and it's it's really difficult to sort of there's just so much a and b it's all just so smart that i can't really i can't really make it digestible for a general audience because everything is just so just bursting with genius yeah i can understand that it it definitely was hard there are a lot of things that when other people were describing them uh, the sheer act of like paraphrasing what they were trying to say is like, I don't know how to make this palatable for someone right? who is just casually listening to a podcast. Unrelated, we don't have to put this in, but did you, did you watch the the video about the music that I sent you? Oh my you? god, I'm so sorry, I totally forgot. You didn't? That's okay. No, I'm so sorry. But but when you do watch it, you will realize that. It's ge- like everything they say is is incredible and genius, but it's like I don't know how to. So I guess all this to say, there's quite a bit of my research that's just going to be, hey, this video is on this, go check the notes to watch it. This video is on this, go check the notes to watch it. And this video is on this, go check the notes to watch it. I have a lot of videos that you need to watch, but I do have other things. But it's worth it. Lots of homework. Yes, I, <laughs> I totally get that. Okay, so you should start talking about the money. No, that's okay. I clap. <laughs> Your job is the money. <laughs> I don't know. I, ho- I hope someone out there cares about this stuff. I do. I think it's fascinating. <laughs> so I know I spent a lot of this episode talking about how I feel like this movie underperformed. That was sort of the narrative around this movie was that it did not 
do what people thought it would. However, it didn't lose money, at least from well, from what I'm about to show you. Okay, so it had a, a reported budget of $90 million. And while that's not accounting for a marketing budget, it did make $190 million domestic, another 185 international. So that's about 375 worldwide. So, you know, you typically need to make double your budget back to still make money. And it made like four times its budget. Yeah. So I would imagine that it didn't, it, that it at least broke even, especially with the fact that now uh, on the ancillary markets, which is just anything other than like a theatrical release, like downloading it on iTunes or on Netflix or DVD and all that kind of stuff, it seems to be very popular. So I'm sure that the Oscar is not the only reason that they're making this sequel now. I mean, it, it did make them money. So that's good. I know I probably spent a lot of time talking about how it underperformed, but it really didn't. I mean, no. sure, like it's a Spider-Man movie and you think Spider-Man movies are going to make are in the the high hundreds of millions of dollars, like seven, eight, nine billion. You know, the, the, the last two Spider-Man movies live action made over a billion dollars. But this is not a complete wash. So that makes me feel very good. Agreed. Speaking of not a complete wash, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes, that was something that I was going to bring up if you didn't already. It's not Citizen Kane's 100%, but it is certainly <laughs> up there. Metropolis has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes as well. So I think, like, honestly, I think we're on a very level playing field here in my defense that that this movie is uh, uh, Hall of Fame worthy, shall we say. <laughs> I'm not arguing that. Like, I don't know anybody who does not like this movie. I think that there are probably some people who don't fully appreciate it, whereas, like, I'm in awe of it, especially the visuals. But <laughs> it's just one of those those movies that is not only, like, a feel-good movie, but it it definitely raises the bar for everyone around it. So Agreed. I get the 97 for sure. You know, it's interesting how if you ask 10 people who directed this film, the five that would even wager a guess would say that it was Phil Lord and Chris Miller of the Lego movie and 21 and 22 Jump Street fame. They actually didn't uh, direct this film. They were both producers and Phil Lord co-wrote the movie, but there were actually three other people who directed it. It's actually pretty common for animated movies to have multiple directors. So, and it's funny, two of these men actually made their directorial debut with this film. Bob Persichetti, I think that's how you spell it, just say his name. I'm never confident on this shit. <laughs> Bob Persichetti, he's an animator and a storyboard artist um, for movies like Shrek 2 and Monsters vs. Aliens. Okay. <laughs> I was like, Shrek 2, I was like, yes, I'm on board. And then he said Monsters vs. Aliens. I was like, okay, that's interesting. You know, I I saw that movie one time a long time ago. Is that, are there a bunch of superheroes in that movie? Not really. It's it's monsters and aliens. Are they it's like the one, superhero? Like, isn't there like a superhero lady or something? It's sort of like they become this government team to fight aliens. But that's the thing I'm talking about, right? Yeah, with like the blue blob yeah. and the really tall woman. Ginormica, yeah. Yep, got it. Got Did it. you just suggest we should do that movie? I was going to say we should as a joke. Oh, that's funny. You're hysterical. 
So there's also Rodney Rothman, who was a co-writer of 22 Jump Street and this movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, also his directorial debut. And then Peter Ramsey directed, guess what? Rise of the Guardians, which I know that you love that movie. I love that movie. And I'm sure a lot of people are scoffing right now that I'm like, ew, Monsters vs. Aliens, but oh my God, Guardians, I love it. I think... (laughs) I don't know. I the so the art direction in in Guardians just blows me away, and it's like such a cute and simple story. And that's I love that he had a, a hand in this. Yeah, that, that's great. That makes me very happy. <laughs> yes, and he's actually the first African American to ever be nominated or win the Best Animation Oscar for Guardians. No, for this movie. Oh, for oh, or, right, 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 right. the Spider Verse. Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah, so when, you know, okay, so like when a movie wins Best Picture, its producers win. However, when an animated movie wins Best Picture, it's typically the directors that accept it and get the got Oscar. It. Got it, got it. Yeah, so I don't think it's a secret why it won the awards that it did. And it, again, took a chance in animation. And I want to talk about that because there are things that I kind of – maybe like subconsciously realized, but didn't really fully comprehend until it was brought to my attention. As a designer myself, a lot of these stylistic choices uh, were like really, really super interesting to me. But when we talk about the stylistic choice to make the colors seem like that double vision that we talked about, where it's sort of like offset a little bit, it's obviously calling back to how old comic books were printed and how, you know, the printers may not have been as advanced as they are now. And if you're unfamiliar with how a printer works, it's basically you have four colors that make up pretty much any color that you can imagine. And back in the old days, you had to do each color separately. So you would do the yellow first and then the magenta and then the blue and then the black. And all of those colors on top of each other in whatever percentage colors you needed, that's how you would get your picture. But because the printers back then may not have been as advanced, when you're registering the yellow pages that you just printed into the blue, sometimes the registration can be off a little bit. So you get these sort of like double vision kind of offset dots. And that's sort of the became the style of old comic books back then. That makes total sense. Just the the fact that I have to sometimes go in and, and realign my printer. And this is 2021. Printers suck, suck. in general. Yeah, they suck. <laughs> as, as a designer, printers are a designer's worst nightmare. We, they they fucking suck. Um, As luckily, a photographer, they're, they're also a photographer's <laughs> worst nightmare. They're they're terrible, and unless you're you know this huge printing publication house or whatever, it's just it's a nightmare. I'm and sure they hate it too. Yeah, but I mean, I think I'm thinking of like the graphic novels that we have now. It's it's the registration, you know is obviously a lot better and the the technology that we have for like super super professionals is much better but yeah it's it's it was cool to see that replicated and i think they did it perfectly and this is sort of also where i think they're called ben day dots or like those halftone dots that's where they come from uh like if you were to take a magnifying glass to any kind of printed publication or illustration and you look very very closely at it it's just dots it's like little little droplets of ink that make up these colors that you're seeing Mm -hmm. so maybe if you're looking at something older like those older comic books the printers may not have been as like precise or as specific as the ones that we have today so those dots might have been a little bit bigger or maybe a little bit easier to see just because you know 
technology was older back then. But you know, that's that's kind of what you're seeing in in this movie. It's it's very comic book heavy. It's very old style. It's it's calling back to that to that comic book style, which I appreciate the hell out of, and it was it was done perfectly. Yeah, I think nostalgia is really strong with our generation. So like, even if like, you really can't even put a finger on why you appreciate something. A lot of times it is because it, it kind of takes you back to maybe a, a simpler time or a time when you were younger and you read comic books or watched cartoons or, you know. So it's funny that you brought that up because Insider had a video where they really broke down the animation innovation. So I would like to talk to you about that kind of stuff because they threw some numbers at us and I thought you guys would be interested in them. So first off, this film had 177 animators, and that's more than twice what a normal animated film would have. They even compared it to like Toy Story 1, which only had 27 animators. <laughs> Granted, that was a long time ago. And if you, very long if you go back and watch Toy Story 1, you will see like <laughs> times have changed. Mm -hmm. um, now, while it typically takes an animation crew about a week to animate four seconds of film, this crew spent the same time animating just one second of film. Wow. Big crew, lots of time. The, the number of shots is almost three times as much as a typical film. And the filmmaking team wanted the movie to be something audiences have never seen before. So one of the ways they accomplished this was to have some pretty quirky animation style, which is obviously something we've been talking about this whole episode. <laughs> Animated films are typically 24 frames per second, just like typical film is typically aired in 24 frames per second, right? Mm -hmm. And animating each frame is considered animating on ones. Okay, so you animate one at a time. Well, sometimes in this movie, they chose to animate on twos, which means that they kept the movement or pose of a character on screen for two frames versus one. So the characters could appear fast or smooth in some shots and appear like they're struggling in others. So they, they broke down the scene where Peter and Miles are swinging through the forest. Peter is on ones because he's done this kind of thing for years and he's experienced, whereas Miles is on twos because he's like new at this. Still rusty, yeah. Isn't that the videos, awesome? It's super cool. In the videos that I saw, they, they called it crunchy. Uh, it's kind of a callback to like older animation or just kind of make it give it or really give it that that comic book feel. And uh, yeah, that's that's super fucking cool. I love that so much. Yeah. Again, it's something you wouldn't even realize until someone pointed it out to you. It's very, <laughs> it, you know, it, it's something that speaks more to the mood that you get versus anything visual that you're able to pick up on. Because like distinguishing between one twenty fourth of a second and two twenty fourths of a second is kind of hard to do for the human eye, you know? Yeah. But it works. And I yeah, think totally. I, I, I think it annoyed some people because I think people just aren't used to it, but it was certainly a stylistic choice that worked very well. Uh, and I think like the same thing, they did the same thing in like the Lego movie to kind of make it look more, uh, what's the, what's the word motion, um, like motion capture. Yeah. 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 Or stop um, motion. And it's not, it's not motion. Capture. Motion it's capture. Stop it is motion. stop motion. You're right. You're right. Jesus yeah. Christ. Okay. <laughs> but you know, yeah, you know what I mean? But yeah, the next time that you watch this movie, you can you can 
take a look at each specific character and each specific moment. And I think Miles even at some point does get that smoother animation towards his sort of discovery. Yeah. Uh, yeah and as growth. He, as he goes further into the movie. Yes, he does. Yep. yep. Which is also why that your favorite scene is what is like so impactful. I think that was one of the first moments that we actually did see that smooth animation when he's like flipping backward Falling from the building. The sky, yeah. So cool. So cool. I love that part so much. I think about <laughs> that a lot. Another note is how instead of typical motion blur that they put in films to make their movements seem more realistic, they used an old animation technique called a smear. I guess the way to describe a smear is like if I punch something really quick and then recoiled, if you went frame by frame, you might see multiples of my hand or my arm. Yeah, yeah. Basically, whatever the rapidly moving object is. And if you pause this movie at some point, you will see multiples of their fists. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And again, that is a way that on a still sheet of paper, they were able to convey action. Right. Versus motion blur, which is intrinsically something that it's from the medium of film, pretty much. You know, it's not something that you really could draw back then yeah so like obviously they really tried to make this thing look reminiscent of a comic book you know dialogue popping up on screen uh putting in illustrated still frames in the middle of an action sequence even mimicking when comic books often had their ink bleed outside of the lines they even used techniques that comic book artists use like hatching to create shadows to shades yeah 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 and half-toning to create gradients using repeated dots like what you had said. And uh, I really thought that this was funny. And one other thing that they had mentioned in this video was the fact that of all the characters that were the most challenging, they thought Spider-Man Noir was the hardest because of the color limitations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which makes sense. I mean, you can. there's only so many variants of you know, black and white that you can put in this movie, especially when right. you're doing all this other stuff with color. Um, trying to make him visually interesting is a struggle. Right. There's a big difference between grayscale black and white and I think it's called threshold black and white, where it is literally just black, black and, white. and white. There is no yeah. gray. It kind of reminds me of um, what's that movie? Uh, Sin City. Has oh, yeah. Threshold. Uh, it's a very distinct style, and I, that's something that I never even considered. Like, you'd think that that would be easy because you're really only working with two colors, but I guess that that can be a challenge as well. And he's one of, like, the coolest fucking characters in that whole I movie. I love him. It yeah. might have something to do with the fact that it's Nicolas Cage, but, like, I think <laughs> I think what is so int- or what is so hard about it is is that they weren't just reserving themselves to, like, okay, well, it's only two colors. We can only do so much. They were still trying to push the boundaries yeah. But only with black and white, you know, mm-hmm. so it, it was hard because of the color limitations. Right, right. I also really like a lot of the Easter eggs. Uh, I'm sure if you've seen this multiple times, you probably would have caught a lot of these. But it is a movie that deals with universes. So it's not uncommon for like small things to be changed, small little call outs here and there. And I just wanted to go over some of my favorites in each of the universes. Times square has very small changes. Like there's a movie advertisement for from dust till Sean. Yes. Which is like Sean of the dead, but, instead for from dusk till dawn it's like a sequel to Shaun of the dead that's perfect right and it has the two actors i forget their names so it's nick frost and simon pegg 
Yes, it has those two on it. They have some celebrity athletes that kind of just switch sports all together. They have a red man group instead of a blue man group <laughs> advertised. Uh, and there's an ad that looks a lot like the bridesmaid poster, but it says baby shower. It's called baby <laughs> shower. It has like all the women lined up, but it says baby shower instead. Uh, and there's tons more if you if you look closely. But among other things, there's uh, someone also pointed out that in Miles' universe, the money is a lot different. Uh, you can see the bill when Miles takes Peter B. to eat. His burger costs $11,000. <laughs> I don't know if you caught that or not. No. Uh, I'll have to show crazy. you the clip. It's it's funny. It's like, <laughs> it, I mean, it, it lists like a burger, fries, and soda, and everything is like thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, and also, if uh, the scene where he's he took the test and the teacher's saying like, well, you got every single one of them wrong. If you were actually, if you didn't know anything, you'd get like at least that whole conversation, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. The date says Decemberary. So <laughs> it's like all these things that show that it's really just way out of our universe, which I, I love. I love little Easter eggs like that. That is really awesome. Yeah. The number 42 is also everywhere in this movie it is it's constant in this movie uh one theory is that it was referencing the spider that bit miles i think in the original comics it was like the 42nd test of that specific spider that ended up working uh and gave him his powers another theory is that the number 42 was jackie robinson's number who was the first black professional baseball player yeah i like both of those i think that's super super cool this is another thing I thought was really kind of cool. Do you know what the Comics Code Authority is? No. The Comics Code Authority, it was this little graphic, it was a stamp that was put on all of the old Marvel and DC comic books. Uh, it was pretty much reassurance for the parents of the children that were reading these comics. It was uh, a list of guidelines that basically said, like, any violence that you see, any criminals that are in these should not be taken seriously. The, the, their actions should not be reflected in any way. Uh, it's like it's this whole set of guidelines, uh, and they included it at the beginning of this movie, and it does meet all of those guidelines. So I like that. It, I think it was like in the beginning with all of the like production company logos and stuff. Oh, cool! Um, they included that in this movie, which is another callback to the comics. Which I, you know, that was really really cool and clever of them to do. And then I'm sure anyone who's done even a little bit of research or rewatching this movie has seen this, but I just want to point it out because it's like one of my favorite things about this movie. Doc Ock says the line, my friends call me Liv, but my enemies call me Doc Ock. And then she shows up at Aunt May's house and Aunt May is like, oh, it's Liv. And I, I live for that. <laughs> I think that's hysterical. <laughs> I love it so much. And I would love, even if it's a short, I would love to see like their reaction or like their falling out or relationship. Uh, like I would, I would love to know how they know each other. Yeah. Maybe we'll get it in the sequel. Who knows? But that would be funny. Actually, I'm going to say one last thing. I want to give a shout out to Kingpin's design. It's incredible. Kingpin, like the big bad. Yeah. It's so simple, but it is legitimately so genius and amazing. His character design. A lot of the times does what Disney did to Mickey mouse. If you don't know what I'm talking about, anytime that you see a cartoon version of Mickey Mouse, his ears, like they they don't follow physics. When he turns his head, his ears don't turn with him. They are always, always two circles. 
They are never ovals. They're never like adjusted for whatever profile he's looking at. They are always two circles on the top of his head. If you didn't notice that before, look up some kind of, you know, Disney or, or Mickey animated anything. You will see his ears are always, always circles. It's going to ruin Mickey Mouse for you. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's clever. Like they wouldn't, that like the Mickey Mouse shape and logo would not be as successful. I think if it wasn't for that design choice. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. And this comes into play for Kingpin because he's literally just a shape. He's just, he's a black shape. That's all he is. And there are some scenes where three quarters of the screen is just black, like no texture whatsoever. It's not even texture that you see like on his jacket or anything. It's just black. And it's because his frame is so big. Like it, it, it emphasizes just how big and just how, steadfast and big of a wall this character is Mm -hmm. and there's even a shot where the entire screen is black but it's just his head that's like in the center of the frame (laughs) and it's oh it's it's just really to nail in that idea that this is this dude is just an immovable wall Mm -hmm. um and i think the end scene when miles does his little hay thing with his hand on the shoulder and shocks him away. Yeah. It makes it that much more impactful because this whole movie we've been set up to know that this guy is just a wall. He is this big overbearing immovable thing. And then miles is finally able to show off the strength and growth that he has learned throughout this movie. So shout out to Kingpin's design. Fucking love it. So the last thing I really wanted to bring up was just talking about Miles Morales a little bit. For those of you who didn't know, he was created in 2011 by Brian Michael Bendis, who's a popular uh, comic book writer and artist, Sarah Pacelli. So he was in a title called Ultimate Spider-Man, and he was created and gained popularity as response to outrage that came over the internet after a rumor circulated that Donald Glover, famous actor Donald Glover, wanted to be able to play Spider-Man saying, you know, a a white face is not a requirement to be able to be Spider-Man. Miles Morales did not exist before Donald Glover mentioned that he wanted to play Spider-Man. You're saying that Miles Morales was made in response to this? Yeah, that's that's what the story... Are you arguing that or... No, I didn't know that. Oh my God. (laughs) I knew that Donald Glover had this passion that he wanted to play Spider-Man. I assumed he wanted to play... Miles Morales. I assumed that he had, Miles Morales had existed before him. I didn't realize that he, that he was like, yeah. Oh so my this, god, this was a while ago. I th- I think it was around the time when Andrew Garfield was becoming Spider Man because that was in 2012. Mm-hmm. So I think that Donald Glover was like, I want to play the new Spider Man. Yeah, because of the fact that Spider-Man at that point wasn't black, people were, you know, having backlash. And it's like, why the hell does that matter? It doesn't. Honestly, I think Peter Parker could have been black, but now we have Miles Morales and Miles Morales is, in my opinion, just as amazing. I think he solidified himself as the best Spider-Man. Okay, so I love Tom Holland as... As do I. Spider-Man. So to me, that's my favorite Spider-Man. But definitely, like, Miles Morales is an incredible character. One of the best. I mean, obviously, he has his own franchise, and I think he'll inevitably be brought into the live-action films. God, I don't know when, but probably sooner than later. That's amazing. I had no idea that 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 was a response to, to Donald Glover. Yeah. That's awesome. That's incredible. Again, kick-ass character, 
kick-ass movie. I'm really happy that we finally got around to doing this one. Yeah, same. So to round out this discussion about how awesome Donald Glover is, if you don't know him, he's Childish Gambino. He's, you know, great, great rapper. I think he played the voice of Miles in one of the Spider-Man animated series. And I don't know if you remember this, but I don't remember what season it was. But in one of the season premieres of the show Community, we get this montage of all of the community characters like waking up in their beds. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Um, There's the scene where Troy, who's played by uh, Donald Glover, wakes up and he's in he like gets out of his bed and he stretches and he's in spider-man pajamas Ah. this scene is referenced in uncle aaron's apartment when miles first visits him the tv is on and that scene of him getting up out of his bed and stretching is on the tv oh wow now (laughs) do you remember donald glover his character in spider-man yeah yeah Donald Glover plays the character Aaron Davis in Spider-Man Homecoming, who is Uncle Aaron. So I love that this whole thing just like full circle. Yeah. I love it so much. I love it so much. I love <laughs> Donald Glover so much. I love this movie so much. It's it's brilliant. It's perfect. There's also so much more than just this. There are videos that I've found that go over Miles' growth and how it relates to the hero's journey. Uh, The composition of the music in this movie is nothing short of genius as well. I have a video on that that I'll link. um, There's a whole video on on the importance of uh, the Prowler and his character and how that relates to Miles' coming of age. Everything is in the description. I highly, highly recommend you check out the links that we put in this episode because there's, there's just so much to this movie that will blow your mind. And it's, 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 this episode would be a year long if we were to include every single thing. So, and I feel like it also, again, would wind up being like take three, a plagiarism podcast. If honestly, just <laughs> read what they were saying, truly, truly, truly. Um, yeah. So please check out those links. My favorite's the music one. Uh, it's actually by a channel that, that I really love that goes over a bunch of movies. So you should check out the rest of their channel if you can, but the links are in the description as usual. Check them out and let us know what you think. What are you doing? Playing with my beard. Did you shave? No. You look like you did. Thanks. My hair's falling out. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you're all doing well in 2021 so far. Thank you for listening to this episode of Take 3, a movie podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you're interested in checking out more episodes, please visit Take3AMP.com. That's the number three. Also, here's a reminder that if you have not done so yet, please follow us on all social media at Take3AMP and leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That would really help us. One time, uh, Jordan and I were taking an Uber in D.C., and the guy ran at least two stop signs, sped the entire way, and to top it all off, didn't even have seatbelts in the back of his car. But that did not stop him from emphatically asking us to rate him five stars. I tell you that story because Take 3, a movie podcast, is that Uber driver, and we want your five stars. 
Anyway, until next week, happy listening.